This episode of the Event Safety Podcast is brought to you by the Event Safety Alliance Canada. ESA Canada is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to health and safety for the arts, entertainment, and live event communities, promoting them with enthusiasm and determination. ESA Canada provides learning opportunities, showing we care about all the people we encounter, the people we work with, our clients, attendees, as well as our venues and fellow suppliers. ESA Canada hosts a monthly member meeting, and the annual conference is coming up October 23 through 27 at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, Ontario. The Scott Johnson keynote speaker will be the CBC's head of high risk and news safety, David Price, and the full conference agenda and the list of fabulous presenters is available at their website, esacanada.ca. And if you go to that website, esacanada.ca, you will see the list of presentations and presenters, which includes me. So if you want to see me live in person wearing warmer clothes, um, come to Ottawa, Ontario uh, in October. And if you want more information about conference registration, membership in ESA Canada, or just other information, you can email them at info at esacanada.ca. Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. And I'm Steve Edelman. Hey, Steve. Two things. First of all, we're going to talk about electricity today. It's a power pod. Oh, let the puns begin. Could not help myself. Um, But also, uh, as a disclaimer for our listeners, uh, several of the people talking today are also members of the ESA and members of the ESA board. So we wanted to uh, put that out there right from the beginning that we are not trying to hide that fact. So there are friends. They are friends. They are at the cutting edge of technology. And and we wanted to talk about that in terms of what it is and uh, some of the aspects and safety benefits and challenges that comes with any new technology as we roll it out. All right. So we're talking about Lollapalooza and overdrive and energy solutions and batteries and solar power. So first we're going to do introductions. So I'm going to start with Boxer. Boxer, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Boxer. And when I'm wearing this hat, I'm the co-founder of Overdrive Energy Solutions. (laughs) And as you said, I'm a member of the board and treasurer of the ESA. Thanks. All right, now going to Neil. Hello, I am Neil, co-founder of Overdrive Energy Solutions and also on the board for the Event Safety Alliance. And Sean? I'm Sean, also part of Overdrive and been a long time roadie, 17 years, and excited that we we did did our, our history with awesome. uh, And uh, our established friend of the pod, Richard. Hi, I'm Richard Cadena. I'm an electrician working with Overdrive, amongst other things. <laughs> Among a, you, you are a fantastic, fantastic uh, friend of the ESA. In fact, you're going to be teaching a class on electricity at the upcoming Event Safety Summit. Register now. There's that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Please. Plugs abound. <laughs> All right. So, um, 
Boxer, could you give us like a quick overview of what exactly we're going to be talking about? And Neil can jump in here too, but um, our company Overdrive was tasked by a company um, called Reverb as part of the music decarbonization project to look at what aspects of um, working with one specific artist at Lollapalooza, what, what could we provide for them as a way to introduce the technology, get people comfortable with it. Um, Neil, you want to riff on that at all? Yeah, so, you know, the overall goal is to reduce uh, carbon emissions in live events. And one of the biggest ways we can do that is by offsetting the use of diesel and other combustion fuels, fossil fuels, things like that. So Reverb.org is a nonprofit that uh, has been doing sustainability work in the live event space for about 20 years or more. And they came to us after we spoke about the opportunities uh, to reduce and offset with the use of uh, solar and uh, electrification. So it started early in the year with um, with Universal Music Group. We did a small event for their Grammys. We graduated from that to doing an event with them, with Willie Nelson at his uh, festival called Luck Reunion, which is concurrent with South by Southwest down in Spicewood, Texas. I just want to add a little disclaimer that we're speaking solely for Overdrive. We're not speaking for Reverb. We're not speaking for Lollapalooza. We're not speaking for Billie Eilish. We're speaking about our experience. Um, when we did work with Lollapalooza, you know, they were very clear, you know, the, it's a big event and we're um, not speaking for them as far as their reduction of greenhouse gases on the event. We're just speaking to the one set that we did at Lollapalooza. So I just want to make sure we're we're clear about that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's and that is sort of our focus is so what can we do about reducing the generator use? So after Luck Reunion in, in Spicewood, Texas, which was the largest solar powered activation that we've seen in uh the United States for live music, Reaver came to us and said, Well, can you do something bigger? And they uh, with the support of Billy Eilish and Lola Pusa, um, we had the opportunity to power um a portion of her set there so uh um there was a it was a great experience we showed the viability of bringing solar setting it up in an environment uh like a festival collecting that energy and using it to power a show now at this particular show we didn't do the entire stage this is the first time that anything this big has ever been attempted in the U.S. concert market, so uh, we took a stepped approach. We we powered their what they call their guest services or their floor package, um, which is uh, um, which is I think about between uh, maybe a third and a half of the requirements um, total. And, and yeah, uh, you. Yes. So just just for people who are not familiar yes. with this particular kind of. Uh, set up these are big stages that are typically powered by multiple generators that run on gallons and gallons and gallons of diesel fuel um there are many many things that run off of those generators and what he's saying is that there was a specific part that this system that they brought in uh was designed to cover richard 
Yeah, I was going to say they had a twin pack there, which is a, uh, a a big trailer with two generators on it, and it consumed a lot of diesel fuel. We watched them refuel it and uh, talk and talk to some people. And I don't know if the numbers are accurate, but they were pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so like like we were saying, this was an opportunity for us to show what could be done and and to grow from here. So uh, when we were chatting beforehand, you know, that you'd mentioned that, that the event was primarily concerned with one particular uh, part of their package. You want to talk about, about their well, we entire Well, we were show. asked to provide, well, we, what we ended up agreeing to provide was uh, guest services for one artist, right? So yep. the ground package of lighting that they brought on, the ground package of video that they brought on, backline and audio um uh and then they had some effects like a toaster what's what am i missing i'm missing one of them right oh it was just a toaster and it was some pyro lights video special effects it was lasers oh right so what sort of amount of electricity do you think that was well it was five services and uh one of them was a 400 amp service and the rest of them were 200-amp services with the exception of the toaster, which was actually really a 20-amp circuit. But it was it was a 100-amp supply, three-phase, which was way overkill. Well, they had a third uh, – it's Boxer the, here. They had a 30-amp too, remember. There's two aspects to the toaster. There's a compressor and the right. motor. Yeah. Does somebody want to explain to people who don't know what a toaster <laughs> is what a toaster is? Because we're not talking bread. <laughs> Sean? Hey, go ahead, Boxer. Sean. Sean, explain what a toaster is. <laughs> this is Sean. It's, oh, Sean, um, yeah. It's a it's a piece of hardware. It's essentially a lift, but it's powered by compressed air. So there's there's both a compressor and some electrical actuators in it, and it um, can rapidly lift somebody or something up to the the edge of the stage. So it's it's a great effect because they call it a toaster because it pops up like toast, and you can adjust. Um, the speed at which it comes up, and they say when you, when you really crank it up, they call it burnt toast, which is a. Oh, <laughs> that, that's when you really want to. <laughs> you can potentially hurt some people that way, but it basically fits into a stage deck, right? And so, yeah, it it fits into the stage, and it's that reveal at the top of the show where the pop star comes flying out from the middle of the stage. Um, we just explained or ruined stage magic yes. magic for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right and, and but you know it's her way up there too yeah she flew one interesting note about this is that early on this was one of the biggest concerns even though the power draw is very low and it was from a percentage basis the smallest thing to worry about it's the opening part of the show so if we didn't get the toaster right nothing was going to go right yeah so there's a lot invested in that Boxer, you dropped a name called the music decarbonization process, as if Project. anybody knows what that is. That's probably Neil's. Yeah, story. let me take that one. All right. Well, the music decarbonization project is a um, a project started by Reverb.org, and it's specifically to reduce the use of carbon in live events. So um, as part of that, we did Luck Reunion, where we reduced diesel generator use by 95%. Um, by way of solar energy systems. We also did it with them at Coachella and at Stagecoach by eliminating diesel generators that were used in 16 different locations there, actually gasoline in, in most of those. 
And then now we've done it here with Billie Eilish and Lollapalooza. Again, it's pretty much about reducing the use of fossil fuels and also any other combustion fuels. So including um, uh, like biofuels and things like that, because those still have emissions. They still emit carbon. So we're trying to get rid of all of that. And the best way to reduce carbon is by using solar or wind or other energy technologies that doesn't involve us burning things. So podcast listeners, if you're trying to figure out this is the event safety podcast and we're hearing about non-fossil fuel solar energy, what's the tie-in? Well, here I think we've really aimed high because it's about saving the planet. Um, you know, sometimes we have life safety first. Yeah, life safety first, saving our lives. Neil. Well, it's more than that, actually. And there's a very direct tie-in with sustainable energy and safety. So if you all remember, and anyone listening to this podcast might have been at the safety summit in 2021. Oh, yeah. I think it was 2021, one of the speakers was from the Kennedy Center, the accessibility um, person from the Kennedy Center. What was her name again? Does anyone remember? Our favorite, Betty Siegel. There you go, Betty Siegel. Siegel. Love Betty. She was asked a question by the audience. What was the first thing, easiest thing a venue could do in order to make it safer for their participants? And she said, get rid of cable ramps. Well, cable ramps, what's in cable ramps? Wires and cords. What is one big reason wires and cords are in there? Well, because we can't put generators where we need to use power. So in our business, we put generators remote. We run a lot of cables, wires, and things like that. So that's a safety concern. Um, you know, it was a safety concern that was brought up um, independent of us working on sustainable energy at one of our conferences. You know, and secondarily, the thing about emissions and diesel particulates and things like that, I got to tell you, you don't notice it until it's gone. And wow, when we did Luck Reunion the first time, you, you couldn't get away from the fact that it was quiet and you didn't smell any of that diesel. We take it for granted. When we go to festival sites in this business, there's just a constant background drone of generators and there's the constant smell of diesel. We've become so habituated to it that our crews, our audiences, our artists are doing this all day. That's so hilarious that you say that because whenever I smell diesel fuel, it reminds me of when I used to do a bunch of rock and roll back in my 20s. That's 100% what I I put it into. Uh, The hum of background noise. Oh my God. I mean, that's like the soundtrack whenever you go to any festival site. I mean, it's just extraordinary. It's hard to hear the music or a conversation over the hum of motors. Which is why they end up so far away. Right. Is to try to get some noise isolation. So you'd mentioned that there was solar farm to capture uh, electricity when the sun was sunning. Um, how did you get the power from there to uh, whatever you were putting them in? Oh. Well, this is me hey, trying to tee Boxer. it up so you can I'm, talk I'm about wondering it. if we should t- talk about the solar array that we built. Um, yeah, Sean, why don't you take the lead on that? Briefly. Sean, by the way, is our lead engineer. Um, Sean is, is is too modest. He has a master's in electrical engineering dealing directly with solar. Um, and, and really, Sean brought a lot of that to the table here. So go ahead, Sean. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in, uh, in roadie fashion, 
we had a whole bunch of solar panels on these uh, great kind of mobile carts, and we used our stage hands, and we have this great system that lets us uh, kind of lay up buckets, these, these, these design, specially designed buckets that lock the solar panels into them, and we created a large array out in the field where normally, you know, the, the patrons a bu- a would bucket, go. But... A bucket is a very uh, simple way to, to explain a, 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 a injection molded uh, ground mount yeah. solar uh, frame. Yeah, very, very. Colloquially known as buckets. Yeah. Thank you for the interpretation, um... Boxer. <laughs> yeah, very, a very specially designed bucket. For this purpose and um laid out a large array uh of 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 solar panels interconnect them all with cabling uh it's a, it runs at a higher voltage and um running those cables to charge controllers which are connected to or part of the large battery units um so we had we did have a couple cable ramps but this was just for uh, for the load-in phase, kind of while we're charging up the buck, charging up the batteries. Um, so, so speaking of those batteries, mm-hmm. in in I guess general terms, because of course every event is different. Where did those power sources end up in proximity to the stage? Unfortunately, they were further from the stage than the generator was, which seems perhaps a little counterintuitive. Uh, we were. Um, added to this to the whole setup a little after the fact. Sean, you totally undermine Neil's excellent point about eliminating cable ramps, <laughs> but go on. <laughs> well, you know, one thing about that cable ramp is the cable ramp was A, back a house, and B, was not there, was, was, was the, the entire solar field was torn down before the audiences came there, uh, got there. So the site was safe for the audience. And then the second thing, you know, is that you know, this is one of the great things about the flexibility that electrification brings. We were actually, like, like, like Sean said, further away from the stage. And when you're when your generator, in this case, a battery system, has no noise and no emissions, you can put it wherever you want. So, again, you know, this was an initial application. We were guests of the festival. Part of the goal was to disrupt their operations as little as possible. So in this case, the battery units actually ended up further from the stage next to where the diesel generators sat than they needed to be. Um, so there's a lot of areas where we can we can go forward from here. But at this specific one, we had 12 battery units. They were, um, like I said, they were staged left on the other side of the generators. The solar was uh, roughly, it was in front of the stage, a little uh, stage left. Um, but again, we have a lot of flexibility. So when we're talking about this stuff, this is where this stuff ended up. In an right. ideal application, we can design for the most sustainable, easiest to, to, to put down and install, and safest um, situation we want to. We have a lot more flexibility. This is Boxer. I just want to add, like, we're happy to be at the dance. And so whether we get invited right before doors or a, a year in advance, um, it makes a different uh, difference on how we set up and how we deploy. And obviously the, the idea is to have it designed into it. But if we're bolted on, we're going to make do, you know, we're production people. We'll make it work uh, with what we're dealt. Jenya? Yeah. So um, I, have a, I have a question for Richard. Um, so when we had 
talked a little bit before this, we talked about people with concerns about batteries, and you talked about what these batteries were made out of. Could you explain a little bit of that and a, a little bit about the misconceptions with lithium batteries? Oh, you got to select your audio source. I guess we never heard him. Yeah, since that's he how I was dialed a... in. You may talk about right, well, batteries while he's figuring that out. What I'd like you to talk about actually is the testing. Uh, that you get to do and and the networking and the redundancies at those those pieces? Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I mean, there's a few different aspects there you brought up. Uh, one, one, one thing that was important to us is monitoring both states of charge and load of all the batteries. And um, all these battery units had LTE, it's like cellular modems in them, so we could access all the data remotely. But the challenge there was um, once you have 100,000 people in the audience on their cell phones, the cell signal doesn't really work very well. And we knew this was a problem and we had to do quite a bit of kind of reconfiguring on the networking side. And luckily we had a, a hard line at the festival. So we managed to re-network them all together so we could access the, the live streaming data um, during the event, you know, when everybody was there. And that was that was kind of one of our larger hurdles in configuring all that together. Duct tape and mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing, one quick shout out to uh, our friend Alan Cook, who's been a friend of the ESA from Round Rock Technologies. Um, when we didn't have great cellular signal, uh, they deployed for us uh, uh, an internet uh, connection very quickly, and so we were able to live monitor all twelve units in real time across the internet during the show. Uh, this is Boxer. We haven't really talked about the the battery array systems that we had 12 of those, but we end up having to hardwire the network connection um, directly to our uh, command center. And that was a redundancy or just no, to be able to speak it was to them? Because of the wireless uh, crush. Um, and so we installed some hardware onto them that are not native to the hardware so that we could have them all talk to each other and talk to us and we can monitor them. I mean, really the net effect was so we can all stare at some computer screens and be really nervous the whole time, <laughs> but it, you know, it was for monitoring. It was, it was to see Seriously. what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, Danielle, we actually, I guess, theoretically didn't need that because it all worked, <laughs> but, um, but you know, that's one of the things about these technologies. I think, I think part of the theme here is that we're guests we're happy to get in there. However, you know, the opportunity is we might not have everything ideal in terms of infrastructure, but one of the things about sustainable energy is that it is at a very basic level, actually simpler than powering things with generators. So we have a lot more flexibility and a lot other ways to deal with this stuff. So when you're asking about redundancy and you're asking about safety and you're asking about, um, you know, testing and things like that, in some ways, what we're doing is building confidence. And these are all tools to help us build confidence with people. At the end of the day though, these systems had cooling fans that were like computer cooling fans. That's it. A lot less moving parts than a diesel generator. Boxer. Yeah, just, you know, we rely on diesel generators extensively for, especially for outdoor events, but those are complex machines, as you said, and those go down. And there's a reason people have a second generator. So it's 
a lot of our goal is make showing people that these aren't scary, that they're not any less reliable than working with the diesel generator, reminding people that diesel generators are not infallible, that they do have mechanical problems. Yeah, I, I need to dumb this down to the level of someone who doesn't do this sort of technology and still drives a car that runs on gasoline. Um, is this analogous to the sort of repair record envy that I am now starting to have of my friends who drive electric cars because they don't have a service interval and they don't have to worry about complex mechanical systems breaking down. Boxer, you drive something that's all electric, don't you? Yeah, I would say it's there's a lot of parallels in there and parallels to how technology in our lives are, is evolving in general and that it's less and less mechanical moving hardware. There is definitely hardware, but it's a lot of it's solid state, but then it's held together with software. So the hardware is simpler, but there's software that can make it a complex in a different way, but you're not going to need to replace a fan belt. Just, just regarding the, the hardware maintenance, you know, I thought it was amusing that as we're there monitoring things and testing things, they did turn off one of the generators of the twin pack to swap an oil filter, you know, and it's this dirty piece of hardware. They're climbing around in this, in this big piece of equipment. And we're sitting outside looking at a little screen and, and, you know, pushing a couple, pushing a couple software buttons. Um, but in, in regarding the testing that we did, you know, because they, they requested a 200 amp service for the different departments and we wanted to see what was capable. So we, we, we kind of wired these batteries in a, in a unique way that um, they aren't usually used like, and, and we, uh, we were able to push 300 and 350, 360 amps for about six minutes. And I said, you know, that's, that seems like it's uh, sufficient for the load. And then turns out during the show itself, maybe it was a hundred amps they peaked at. No, it was a, there was a short lighting peak of 200 amps when they had all the lighting and all the video walls and go the, full white. And the hazers, all the hazers were running because they the little a little heater unit, basically. So, uh, so I see Steve, like, blinking at us a little bit. So uh, what they're talking about is how much electricity was being pulled to service things on stage, like the lights all turning on too full at once and the LED screens being bright. And the hits. Sorry, I guess I'm translating just a little <laughs> in case people got lost. I'm Jew using Steve as a gauge. <laughs> Jewish podcast listeners, if you think of the Passover Seder, I'm the simple child in this conversation, <laughs> the one struggling to figure out how to ask. <laughs> but on a serious note, so this this goes back to um, some of the things that we spoke about with with uh, safety as well. Um, I'm sorry, to, uh, Steve's car analogy. Okay, so things that people don't know, and I'm I'm going to save the battery stuff really for Richard. But um, in electric cars, it turns out, are involved in quite a bit, uh, significantly fewer fires than traditional internal combustion engines. You know, one of the funny things is I was sitting there with a. Uh, a couple members of of uh, of, of uh, the Chicago uh, Chicago's finest uh, during the show, and they were looking down there, and uh, one of them commented, "Yeah, I'd much rather have that than those big tanks of diesel." So there's a lot of analogies um, to electric cars and other things with electrification, um, you know. And and the most dangerous thing 
the electricity, that voltage, right? That shock and all that stuff, that's no different. So we are nominally as, you know, in, in almost every other measurable way, safer than a big old tank of flammable liquid and, you know, a big machine with lots and lots of moving parts. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll add from the simple child's corner, internal combustion, that means blowing stuff up in a series of repeated explosions. That's why there's always a fire marshal someplace near the thing that could go boom. So, yeah, I mean, the the value of electrification seems pretty intuitive as a power source. And I guess from my simple person's perspective, since I don't understand how many amps it takes to run, you know, screens full white plus, you know, haze effects. Yeah, a lot. I I gather that, you know, it is a lot. Um, But it seems to me that there is real intuitive value from a safety standpoint to eliminating cables and having fewer things that burn fuel and fewer combustions because those are explosions and that's not desirable either. So I... You know, apart from the power benefits and the other operational solutions, it just seems to me from a pure safety standpoint, as you know, the nitwit in this conversation, there's a lot of value here. Speaking of value, I was just going to add cost reduction too. people. There's a uh, an assumption that sustainability has to cost more. And for sure, let's be clear, the purchase price of a battery-based generator is probably still three times or more than a diesel generator. But first of all, these units have a service life of 10 to 20 years. And how much maintenance do they need in those 10 to 20 years? Like, you should really keep them clean just because you don't want your audiences or your people to see dirty here. But that's it. You wipe them off. There's nothing to change. There's no filters. There's no, uh, there's, there's no nothing, right? There's no wear items on them. So in the long term, we're talking safety benefits. We're talking cost benefits. So... At the end of the day, sometimes I, I, I say this uh, is more of a cultural exercise than it is a, a scientific or a technical exercise. What we really need to do and why Reverb, the Music Decarbonation Project, um, what Billy Eilish did, all this is so important is we need to be able to show people that this way that's unfamiliar, that we don't know a whole lot about, that you've never seen, or even worse, all you've heard about are laptop batteries catching fire and you remember when those first cordless phones you had when grandma would leave it off the hook and then it would be dead? Like those things aren't big problems anymore and the benefits are huge. But again, this is as much a cultural exercise as anything. And Sean here, I'll, I'll add regarding the, you know, there's the concern of battery fires and and everybody really freaks out about this. And um there's a number of chemistries of lithium battery. And this is, I think, a, a very uh, kind of well unknown topic, right? Everybody just thinks lithium is flammable. And it's true, lithium in its raw state is flammable, but when it's bound in a battery, what you're more concerned about is the electrolyte catching fire. And it's the other part, right? It's the, it's the other part of the chemistry in the battery. And with the specific chemistry that we primarily use, lithium iron phosphate, the oxygen, which is the flammable part, 
is actually bound in a molecule that it, it, it makes it really hard to burn. In fact, there's a specific UL testing that is done to make sure these things do not propagate the fire. And the crazy thing is, first you have to start the fire and they literally have to wrap one of the cells in a heater and get it up to some crazy extreme temperature, catch it on fire, and then they see what happens. And there are certain battery chemistries that have what's called thermal runaway and, and, and it escalates and it's just caught and you need fire suppression and, and it's not a good sign, but this chemistry is incredibly stable and does not propagate as much. Oh, we got Richard's audio. Do we got Richard back? I hear Richard. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Richard. Richard, why don't you tell us more about LFE? <laughs> Richard being the electrical guy and a big safety guy, he has, you know, he deals with these concerns a lot. So go ahead, Richard. Tell us about LFE. Or is that Daniel? Is that L your job? Well, <laughs> this is Boxer real quick. The two main sources of lithium ion are NMC and LFP. Is that fair to say, Sean? Um, and like when Tesla first launched, they're all NMC, right? And now auto manufacturers are leaning into LFP because they're seeing that they're actually getting similar performance, even though in theory they should be heavier and have um, less density, but have a longer service life. But in reality, they're seeing very similar characteristics to NMC, but I'll let Richard dive into the, the LFP research. No, you're exactly right. And that just speaks to the issue that we have to raise awareness and correct a lot of misinformation out there. And uh, and once we do that, we'll, then we'll get a lot closer to acceptance. That's and really what adoption. we're striving for, in adoption, yeah. To, to sum this all up, what we're saying is that people are concerned about battery fires, the kind of batteries we use. It's not the concern that people uh, uh, typically have. So. This sounds very similar to uh, years ago when people started, vendors started bringing me LED lights that they thought would be fantastic in my facility. And they were both dark and six colors and hard to control. And now I have fantastic LED lights. And you're telling me that we're at that point in or close to that point with this technology. I also remember a lot of conversation about people and Richard specifically, preaches on this is uh, ground lifts on stage and not having GFCIs in on stages where there's water um, or outside uh, and how a lot of those trends have changed because you can prove that they're uh, safe and functional and you can prove that they're reliable and they're not nuisance tripping. Um, so I hear those same, same things in what you guys are saying now. Um, I do, you know, as you mentioned, this is electricity. Electricity still bites, um, as in bites people. <laughs> uh, what I want to know is what lessons do you guys learned? What, what risks and hazards are inherent to any of this? You know, if you're thinking about any new technology, what are you looking out for? What are you thinking about to make it even better going forward? Use case. I mean, one of the first things is it's so flexible, it's easy to use in a lot of places, but what we wanna do is to show where it really shines. And that's, I think, the, one of the biggest lessons we're learning is, all right, we've shown that it works, now let's show how we can really reap the benefits. Okay, so so again, if, if I'm, 
trying to sell this and I'm still doing my safety planning and risk assessments, what am I, what am I thinking about? How we can reduce trip hazards, how we can uh, reduce those emissions, how we can redesign our sites with the freedom that battery systems and sustainable energy systems bring us to maximize safety, reduce costs and maximize resilience. And all the normal hazards of electricity. Absolutely. Well, you know, we We're eliminate wire, we eliminate connection points. We're making it safer right there. Well, I mean, yeah, you can put stuff closer to the to the to the stage, obviously. Um, but one thing is, we do have, uh, as Richard pointed out to me when we're on site, and the fire marshals when we talk with them, is um, you know we've got voltage, you know, a, a good amount of voltage coming off the solar panels heading to the batteries, so those need to be protected in uh, in cable ramps. Uh, luckily at a festival, you've got it, you know, pretty good options for keeping that out of the publics uh, right away. Oh, that's that's a great thing to think about. It's also easier to bury though. So these cables that we're using for solar, because they run high voltage, we can run a much smaller wire than you'd normally run for electrical feeder. And the wire that we run, by the way, is rated to be buried. So when it's small, it's very easy to get underground, even in the temporary setting. Yeah, and it's closer to the thickness of a DMX or a mic cable than it is of a, a four-aught. Or if you're not music people, probably a Sharpie instead of a, uh, you know, a big extension cord. <laughs> roll a quarter. Yeah, there roll a quarters. Yeah. I threw you way off, didn't I, with my microphone stuff? Yeah. No. So, 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 Richard, <laughs> throw me some wisdom now, now that you're back online. Well, you know, one thing that I think there's a couple of things that I think are really interesting about this. Number one is that this forces us to think about how much energy we're actually using. And it's actually much less than you might have imagined. You know, if you just take the equipment specs and you look at all the wattages and you add them all up and you go, oh, my God, I need a, a 400 amp three phase you know, system. But in reality, you're only using a fraction of that. You know, in um, the in the national in the codes and regulations, um, they regulate how much supply you need, and uh, there's something called the the diversity factor. In other words, if you have you know 100,000 watt lamps, how many would you ever turn on and leave on at one time? And it, and we use a diversity factor of 50%, which it turns out that's actually about right, maybe a little bit high. So in reality, we can actually, uh, at some point, when we get enough data, we can better size our power to our loads, to, you know, to what, we're, what we're powering up. That's one thing. Another thing I think is really fascinating and interesting is that if you think about how the, the kind of things we're using right now, they all are ultimately using low voltage DC. So in the future, I can see a, a way forward to eliminating AC altogether and going back to DC. And it doesn't even have to be really high voltage. It can be low voltage, which is much safer. You know, so there, we're learning a lot from these exercises. Very, very exciting. All right. So I've got a bunch of different takeaways from this. Congratulations on your success, first of all. Um, it'd be exciting to see where it goes from here. Um, did you have any, uh, did you have any issues trying to explain to people on the site what this was and it was okay to do it? Like the fire marshal or something like that? 
Oh, everyone's making a face, people. People in <laughs> podcast land. Let Boxer or, or, or Richard I'm take that one. Like something. nodding like bobbleheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we had some issues, um, all of which were overcome. And, and mm-hmm. we learned from a lot of them. I mean, where do we start? Where do we... <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know, codes and regulations, we, we need to uh, figure out a couple of things because this is very unconventional. So when, when the fire marshal comes and looks at it, they don't know what they're looking at. We have, we have to do a lot of explaining. And um, that takes some time. And, but I think that's going to change just because everything is moving towards battery power. There are now whole house batteries for, you know, uh, for battery, for power backup. Um, there's so many EVs now. There's so many battery manufacturers. This is coming to the forefront. And, but there's going to be a transition time, you know. Another thing is um, we uh, we well th- this that's a separate. I was going to say I was going to mention the voltage drop issue, but it's no different than a generator. Really, we had very very long runs. We did have some issues with voltage drop, but it, it's not because it was battery inverter technology. It was just long runs of cable, which you're going to run into. Anyway, but in this instance, it was exacerbated by some of the, some of the loads that they were plugging in. The really kind of cool and fun thing was that as we were setting up, people walking by and they'd see the solar panels and they go, "Wow, what is that?" And some people were really into it and they'd come and they'd look at it. And so we'd go out there and talk to them and engage them and, and try to explain what's going on. And that happened a few times. In one instance, there were a couple of people out there looking, and I went out and talked to them and. And I said, you know, those solar panels are charging these battery banks. Let me show you these battery banks. And I took them over there and started talking to them. And, and eventually I found out that, that uh, it was Billy Eilish's father, who is a carpenter on the crew, which is kind of cool. Very cool. I'll, All right. Go ahead, Sean. I'll give you a small anecdote of, of perhaps the opposite side of that, or at least how, you know, it's going to take some time to change people's perspectives or you know awareness of what's possible. So the um, electricians were installing ground rods behind each of the battery units, and they had a big impact driver, uh, a plug-in impact driver to drive these ground rods into the ground. And he came up in his little golf cart, and he he turned on his little putt-putt generator in the back of his golf cart to run his impact driver. And, you know, I walk over and it's this loud roar. I mean, the impact driver is loud also, but he hasn't even turned it on yet. And I said, you know, we have, you know, these, these units provide power right here. There's a little courtesy outlet right in front. And he's like, why, you want to you wanna see if it'll work? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm, I'm sure it'll work, but I'm not sure why you're running <laughs> your, your, your generator right here, your small little you know, gasoline powered stinky. Yeah, a little thing. yeah just, like there's a plug literally right in front of this right here that you can use. And it took me a little bit of kind of poking and prodding and he finally did it. And uh it was just an amusing moment. The guy would he rather run off a gasoline generator than just plug in. <laughs> and he did do it ultimately, but he did it very reluctantly. Yeah, it was pretty progressive. Uh, just yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> it's funny. It was cool to see people's eyes open up over the course of the week. Um, you know, was it the fire marshals who were who were pretty excited about it, and they were talking about, "Oh, I'd love to you take take that camping and some other stuff." So it was uh it was cool to see people go from, you know, 
skeptics or unfamiliar to being, um, you know, taken in and intrigued by it. Yeah, you know, it, when we do these these jobs, and I often will post a picture of myself or somebody in front of this solar farm and put, put it on social media, and it's interesting that there's always uh, doubters, and there's always people who say, oh, you can't do that, it can't be done. Meanwhile, we're doing it. <laughs> and and, and I, I should add to that, there's a few, you know, we did this event without going and testing everything ahead of time with the vendors with the all, all the gear that they're going to have on stage. So we knew roughly what their loads were, um, but we didn't know exactly. So we had to oversize things just in case. In, a, in, a, in an ideal scenario, we would be part of rehearsals and be measuring everything so that we would know exactly what they're bringing and how much the loads are going to be. You know, the, some of the departments... I think didn't actually even know when they walked in that they were going to be running on battery. And when they found out they were, they were concerned, <laughs> but then really impressed when it worked out. Oh, fantastic. Well, and I, I know a lot of times we just, we will add redundancies or extra capacity, even if we're not trying something like that. So that style makes complete sense to me. Um, I want to thank you all for having this conversation today. It's been very exciting. Uh, hopefully we have uh, gotten people's interest and not lost anyone along the way. Um, I'm sure if you have questions and you want to email Overdrive, we'll put their uh, email address in the show notes and you can ask the questions directly because Steve and I are not here for chemistry uh, lessons. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, if you do want to email us, though, our email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Our website is eventsafetyalliance.org. Please register for the Event Safety Summit. We would love to see you in Houston. All right, and now I'm just going to go around. Does anybody have anything they want to say as we close up this pod? Yeah, thanks for putting up with my microphone issues. <laughs> uh, Richard, we're always delighted to have you with us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank Enjoyed you. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure speaking with everybody. All right. Thank you all and stay safe, everybody. And thanks Me. for joining us today. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.